from Double Door Studios at Manassas National Battlefield Park. I'm Nikki Bland. And I'm Franny Robin. This is A Different Truth. A Different Truth can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like and follow us on those platforms. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and a review. That helps us get more views and show up in more searches. You can also check us out at our website, adifferenttruthpodcast.com. We will share resources and information on our website and social media platforms, where you can also send questions, comments, and ideas for future podcasts. We really want this to be an interactive engagement with our listeners, so please let us hear from you. Thanks again for listening. In this episode, we continue our reflection on the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, turning our attention on how to respond. What actions can we take so that we do more than take a two to three minute run and post it with a hashtag? Turns out there's a lot we can do. Let's discuss and then let's act. So welcome to our next episode of A Different Truth Podcast. Um, I am here with my co-host, Franny Robin, and special guest, Samantha Spittle. She is podcaster extraordinaire as well. Her podcast is called Flushing It Out, and uh, she's here to join us to pick up on our conversation about um, how folks are reacting to... Uh, not only Ahmaud Arbery's murder, but Breonna Taylor's as well and others and and how this has really become a catalyst for people taking action and learning how to navigate this, especially if you're new to the conversation. So before we get into all that, I want to just give uh, Samantha an opportunity to introduce herself and thank you so much for joining us. We're honored and excited. Thank you, ladies. I am honored and excited to be here. Um, thank you so much. I am, as you said, I'm the host of the podcast, Fleshing It Out, and actually Franny is a big part of my story of how that podcast actually came to be. That was totally divine intervention. I had come up with the idea of having a podcast and actually doing it, and a day later, I met a woman, Franny, who actually had a podcast, and so that just, I always talk about her because it just was part of that momentum building time, and so it's exciting now a year later to be here on your podcast, talking about my podcast, talking about relationships, and um, this whole, um, you know, justice, racial reconciliation, all things that I am passionate about, but have a hard time expressing. And so I appreciate the space you ladies have created. And um, as I said, my podcast, it's really, it started as a passion project, and it's turned in, it's growing And what it is, is that my passion and mission is to help people feel more connected and seen by providing a platform so people can share their stories and their life experiences, which hopefully then inspires growth and change. And so I'm a big believer that the more we expose ourselves to other people's truths, other people's life and whatnot, it helps us build not only more empathy, but then, of course, hopefully call us to action. And I'm still figuring out, you know, what what my role is in all of it. Um, but as of now, I definitely love 
starting those conversations. And so um, with what you ladies are doing, it's something that has been kind of tugging at my heart and kind of tiptoeing in. And as you said, just with everything that's going on lately, it's come to a point where you can't stay silent. You know, if, if you feel that call, it's just you really are. I mean, especially for me as a white woman, really getting called out, like, what am I doing? Am I just thinking about it, praying about it, or am I actually doing something about it? And so my goal with speaking with you ladies at Be The Bridge and, of course, continuing the conversation now is to start taking action and figuring out what that action looks like. And so. Awesome. So we're very excited to have you here. As as Franny and I always say, we're on this journey together uh, we don't have all the answers, but if we continue to learn and grow, um, then that will only be for good. And we just got to be willing to acknowledge that we do have a lot to learn. We're going to make mistakes along the way. But, um, you know, we just want to share this journey um, with everyone. So we thank you for helping us do that. Um, you know, Franny, maybe we should give a quick recap of the last episode, um, you know, just to kind of set the stage for how we're going to proceed with um, some of what we're going to discuss today. Um, It's so good to be here in conversation with you, Samantha. Um, In our last episode, we talked, we had a conversation um, in response to the tragic death of Ahmaud Aubrey. And we really touched on what not to do, which is a two part uh, podcast episode. So our our follow on um, episode will focus on what to do. And because a lot of people are asking questions, but um, since it has just brought our hearts to respond to the trauma that we experienced by watching the video of Aubrey's shooting, um, lynching, slaughter, uh, whatever word that you use to describe it, it would be appropriate. We came together to create an opportunity for people to hear and have a resource for um, how to process uh, the, what they're feeling. But as a result, in response to it, what not to say. Um, and some of the things that we talked about, it's our uh, episode nine podcast on a different truth podcast, and you could access it from Facebook, but where any of your podcasts are being carried, we're, we're on those platforms as well. And so it's not to place, some of the things that we talked about is not to place the burden of uh, the, Aubrey's death on on him, back on himself, to you know, as a victim of his own death that has to justify um, his existence in the world and in death, his death, or to place the the burden or responsibility for, um, uh, like Austin Channing Brown said, to be receive redemption or forgiveness on the shoulders of people who are already carrying the burden of a pattern that often happens within their community, and so place you know take ownership of those feelings, uh, not to say you know but the what if he should have been uh, bring up his past, and so we just gave a variety of examples of things not to do, but not to leave you feeling so overwhelmed to the fact that you're stuck. We also are going to provide information on what to do going forward. So that's one of the things that we discussed. But also, uh, in, in, in addition to the do's and don'ts, just giving a voice to the feelings that people are processing. And so that's one of the things that we covered in our last episode. So as we're going forward with this conversation with you, Sam, now, now that you're helping people um, come together to express the things that they're feeling in an effort to unite, I'm so happy, and Nikki and I are so happy to be uh, here so that we could contribute to um, helping people process things. And it's, it's, it's in the processing that we're going to get to the heart of the issues that we're dealing with and, uh, and the issues that we're feeling. So 
that's where we're go that's what that's what we did and that's where we're going forward into our next episode after this one of course so I think a good place to start is just acknowledging that if you're here and you're listening to this podcast, that demonstrates that you want to learn, right? You are in a place where you want to know more. Um, and I think that is a very good place to start. So under the category of things you can do in light of the horrors you have witnessed, whether this is the first time you're getting involved in, um, you know, racial justice as really a movement or not. Uh, we always have something new to learn. So there's a couple of sort of baseline things that I've seen come out in conversations that I think it's really important for people who are going to get into this work understand. One is that race is not a biological fact. Look at the history of race as a category and as how that was developed. It wasn't even part of our vernacular just a few hundred years ago. Um, it was a man-made uh, descriptor and and qualifier that justified white supremacy. It was how we went about uh, putting people into categories and understanding their worth to the establishment to the powers that be um, that really dictated how they were treated and, and justified others' actions. So that's not something people, you know, necessarily realize, even though there's a lot of public information out there about it um, that attests to that being the truth. Um, there's a real difference as well between racism and prejudice, you know, there's a lot of reactions. Well, anybody can be racist. If you understand racism as prejudice plus power, then not everybody can be racist. P sure, anybody can be prejudiced, right? We all have inherent biases that, you know, lead us to view people or interpret their actions um, in a certain way, whether those be racial, class, economic, religious, what have you, everybody has internal biases. Everybody can exhibit prejudice. But if, if again, racism is prejudice plus power, then when have minority groups been in power? And I'm specifically talking about in the United States of America and even in its founding. Who set up those laws and constructs that really are the foundation of this nation and when did they really represent um, all of the people. Um, Mark Charles famously talks about, you know, we the people was never intended to mean all the people. And it's really easy to ignore that as a white American. Um, so just starting with the education um, of the history of our nation, listening to people who don't look like you, listening to people who have different lived experiences from you um, will really open your eyes. And believe me, if it's the first time you've ever done it um, as a white person, be prepared for like some feelings and some um, reactions that are are literally going to be physically felt um, because it's hard to challenge things you didn't even realize needed to be challenged. So with that, Samantha, if I can ask you, like, what are some of the things that you've 
um, read or seen or people you've listened to or what would you recommend in terms of a place to start for learning? Um, so I think I would say that I am early in this as far as a, I can't think of the right word, but like, so my, my life and, and it's kind of where I'm at with what I'm pursuing with my podcast is I'm definitely have the background you just talked about listening to people's life stories and different perspectives. And so that has been the bulk of my life, you know, building relationships with people that were different from me and um, taking on other people's life experiences and trying to absorb as many life stories as I can. Um, you know, but for the last, you know, 12 plus years, it's been a lot more, is it homogeneous? Would that be the right word? Like much more similar. I mean, just everyone looks like me and um, I have great friends who I love dearly, but we all look the same. We all have pretty much the same life experience. And um, like I said, I value and love those relationships, but I just was feeling that tug in my heart that, you know, good things come when we're, when we are absorbing new life, new experiences. And so, um, I've been listening, I've been watching, um, you know, following people on Facebook and things like that. I have, you know, I, I was telling you ladies, I have, I listened to the summary of the white fragility book, but that's on my reading list. So I'm kind of at a point now where I've been watching and I've been dipping my toe into the water um, but that's kind of why I'm excited to get this conversation going with you ladies from my, from my selfishly, from my perspective, because I think that there's just so many white people, I would say like me, where that your heart is tugged, but you're afraid to kind of jump in because what's the right thing to do. Um, and so what I've heard you ladies say, and I know you'll say it again, it's, it's listening and being uncomfortable. And a thing that a theme that's come up so much for me is get used to feeling uncomfortable. It was in a different arena, but I thought about it this morning when we were on the Be the Bridge call because I there was a point where I was like, I just feel so uncomfortable right now. I'm, I stuck my foot in my mouth. I'm feeling all these feelings. And I sat with it for a minute and I thought, this is a really good feeling for me to feel because I'm used to being applauded for my, you know, whatever. And, um... I don't know if that makes sense, but I just, no, I think it that does. it's the getting used to being uncomfortable, having the hard conversations. And like you said, you have that physical reaction when things, not only, I think that when you hear someone else's story, you're used to the empathy or the sympathy of feeling it. But when it's actually like, could be stuff you've done or said, and it's really convicting you, that's the point at which do you lean into it more and say, let's really pull back these layers or do you put up your defenses and say, I don't want to deal with this. It's too hard. So. Right. Well, and I wanted no, to I add agree. one of the things that I loved um, about doing this podcast is the ability to share like factual data that people could uh, look up. And so um, in support, uh, you reference um, Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. And it's one of the books that, we've read and actually have reread and have marked up from cover to cover. Um, but she shared, uh, like right out of the gate that like, and as Nikki was saying, uh, the term white 
what well, it's not even a real thing as we're talking about race you know the construct that came about and so if you're gonna put a system in place you have to put definitions and qualifiers for things um, especially if when it's very systematic and strategic as um, race and uh, race is oh ha had been and so the term white appeared she said in colonial law around the 1600s and so it has it solidified its place its place in our society in the 18, in 1865 when we were experiencing an influx of uh, immigrants to the country. And so um, for you to become or have to have been considered for a citizen race, you had to be considered white to obtain citizenship. And so the people who were the deciding deciding decision makers were white men. And so they deemed and qualified individuals um, for whiteness so that they could obtain citizenship. And one of the references that she gave was a 1922 Supreme Court case where it ruled that Japanese people could not qualify for citizenship because they, could, they, could, they were not deemed or uh, categorically have received the qualifier of white. And so they could not attain citizenship. And so all these things can be actually looked into and read through just to see the historical and um, government support, like the structural support that um, racism have, or has received uh, throughout the history of the United States. And so I just always like to share these little nuggets to allow people to go and do some research. But um, if you are interested in reading, like we talked about already, White Fragility is this book that you can pick up by Dr. Um, Robin D'Angelo, where she breaks down all of these, uh, the, the system of race. And she gives you a definition of racism as Nikki already expressed and prejudice. Like we all have prejudice, you know, prejudices, we all have our biases, but it's the, the benefit that we get out of it that makes it. Someone actually had a great quote today, and I'll actually go back and look for it. But it's not necessarily being racist, but the fact that you're an anti-racist. And I think Chris Noe, we've had on the podcast, already shared that. And she's just wonderful in doing the work in, in this arena. But, but Sam, as, you, as you're navigating you know, how to give a, a voice to some of the things that we are all processing in this nation um, through your podcast, Washing It Out, I just think it's really awesome to have um, multiple voices of various backgrounds and be, where we could become an ally to each other, you know, um, and in order to, to dismantle the work of racism and to break down the infrastructure that's centered around whiteness where everyone has to qualify for some level of whiteness to be accepted in our culture. But those are some of the things that we could talk about more in greater detail. But I just wanted to share some historical information to allow people to do some of the research to and, and a place for, for, to start. Because a lot of time it, it's hard and people don't know where to start. But if I'm able to just give you some dates as presented in um, this book by Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility, to help you with the work. But that's not just this. We, we use a variety of resources. This one is just right at my fingertips, and I was able to share that with you. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there. And we do, and we, are, we, we want to be that podcast we want to be that resource that provides you with truth hence our name a different truth presented differently from especially uh, you know a lot of the things that you're not taught through in, in high school and and beyond yeah i i mean i'm a reader so i tend to gravitate towards the books but um 
there are so many, you just couldn't possibly absorb them all. <laughs> you know, you can't read them all. Um, nevertheless, um, you know, Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist is an excellent book. It really distinguishes um, between just not being racist is not the same as being an anti-racist. Being an anti-racist is a very active way to live as opposed to not being racist, which is just avoiding certain behaviors. So, you know, it's it's very eye-opening. Um, uh, the Seen on Radio Season 2 podcast, Seeing White, it's the most educational 14 hours I've ever listened to in my life. Um, it's, it's very long. You can't do it in one sitting. I wouldn't recommend trying. Um, but it's just packed with... Um, so much information that can help folks start to really understand this concept of whiteness, as Franny said, is not, um, it's not something people even often think about, um, who are white at least. But when you think about people of color, they very much have to understand white culture because they have to live and navigate it all day, every day. Um, so it, it behooves us as white people who hope to move toward a position of being called an ally of those who are impacted by these injustices really need to understand and know the history and know what it, how that history ha- plays into how we live today. So, um, you know, that sort of takes me to the second item, which is listening to and learning from others doing the work of anti-racism. Um, and, you know, number one, educate your, yourself on our history and what it means to be anti-racist. Number two, listen to and learn from others doing the work of anti-racism. Um, so I mentioned Ibram Kendi's book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. There's also So You Want to Talk About Race. Um, and I that just came to my head. I didn't even write it down. Um, so that means I'm drawing a blank on the author. Um, I think her last name starts with an O, but we'll post that, um, or I'll Google it while somebody else is talking. Um, you know, there's, there's wide awake, there's so many books out there that can help us understand what that means. Um, and listening, you know, as we said, listening to learning from following reading others who, um, are already doing this work is a fantastic place to start. So, um, who are some of your favorites, um, Samantha? I am. I feel um, like a unqualified fish out of water um, as far as being able to recommend someone. But when you said you're a book person, I'm definitely a people person. I joke that I'm the introverts extrovert. I talk to people, so you don't have to. And what I mean by that is because my tolerance for being able to chit chat and hear absorb stories is a lot higher than my ability to read a lot of the time. And so for me, um, just like you said, it's follow for me. It's following the people, seeing the stories. Um, I want. I have a huge reading list now, um, but just the more. The more, the more people I can connect with, the more people I can have coffee with, the more people, I mean, that you can't do all of that. And, and, and I love also, by the way, Franny, what you said, I don't know if you said it or I read it about, it's not, so it's not on 
you to educate me. You know, I need to do the work. So I love that as well. So that's in my head of wanting to, you know, be in conversation, ask the questions, but wanting to do the research ahead of time. And that's why I didn't have time um, because we the way we set this up and our, our schedules. But I was so grateful to find the summary of the White Fragility book because I have so much to learn. So I'm the first to say I have so much to learn. Um, but I wanted to at least kind of start getting that in my head because I just remember seeing over and over that, you know, this isn't this is my work to do. It's not up to anyone else's. And so that's kind of constantly in my head as well. So, Samantha, I just wanted to ask you, like, so what are some of the questions that you have for for us today? So on my end with you guys, um, you know, being that I like pushing the needle, um, something you said, Franny, before about and we can edit this out if we want on this, you know, because it was something we shared um, in the other meeting. But so you can help me maybe craft the question. But being tired, you know, like you can only be considerate and this is something in the white fragility about someone else's a white person's feelings you know and how to navigate the conversation and I respect that and that's actually motivates me to want to be an ally more and Nikki by the way you said something too that was really that stuck with me which is you know I can't call myself an ally because I can think I am but if I'm not doing the right work and you know whatnot so um Mm -hmm. that all being said uh I want to, I'm motivated to do more of the work to help carry the burden because as Franny, you said, it's so much to carry and I shouldn't count on others to carry it for me. I should be the one helping to lighten the burden. And so we may have already touched on it, but so I guess one question would be is how can, how can I as a white woman and how can I, I don't know, maybe spread the word to other white people to help carry the burden because one thing when I listened to the white fragility summary, I was actually surprised at first to hear that it was written by a white woman and deconstructing my own thoughts. And I'm sharing this in an effort to be not only transparent, but so that we can peel it back a little. I was mowing and I'm listening to it. And it in the the recap talked about who the author was and a matter. And I actually, oh, oh, it's a white woman. And I had this feeling of like, oh, well, she knows me so she can talk to me. And and, I'm just, I'm like annoyed that I thought that. But I also want to be honest with that feeling because I think there is that level of, don't you know, the whole, we joke about it. You don't know me. You you can't Mm -hmm. talk to me. You don't know me. Well, like, you know, if I had this thought where I'm trying to be, I've always tried to be open to other people's stories but because it was something that, oh, I know this is going to tug at me, knowing like, oh, this is me, basically. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm trying to learn what are ways as me as a white woman, how can I help move the conversation forward without overstepping, without saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things? You know, how can my heart be in the right place and how can I take action? Well, I think um, that... Um, Nikki, what are you oh, if I could... I, Well, I don't even know who the question was for, (laughs) but I just was having a, I mean, I think one of the things when we think about listening to and learning from others who are doing this work, um, as you are getting started, um, there's this balance, right, uh, between being active and then 
being educated enough on the issues to speak up. So um, that's why in Be The Bridge, they require that when you join that platform, um, you are not allowed to post or comment for 90 days. You have to do all of this homework, this required you know, resources that you have to go through before you're allowed to post. Every post is uh, monitored because, you know, we don't want to harm each other while we are learning. Um, So, you know, there is, there is that, it goes back to number one, like that duty to educate yourself. But as you do start listening to others who are doing the work, um, one thing that you can do without risking being, you know, saying the wrong thing is just, sharing, you know, retweeting, reposting, um, things that they're doing and saying that resonate with you. Um, and undoubtedly every single one of those things, somebody is going to have a reaction to that they either will or will not let you know about. Right. So, you know, be prepared for that. And this isn't to say like hide behind them and let them do all the hard work, but it's okay to say, you know what? I really feel like that's something I'm learning. I'm going to share their words because they're saying it better than I could. Don't feel the need to like put our own sort of spin on it before we share it, you know? So there's, there's retweet and there's retweet with retweet with comment and (laughs) You don't always have to pick the with comment, you know, so as you are, um, you know, listening to and reading and hearing from all these other people, share what you've learned. I've often, you know, halfway through a book, I'm like, this is too good to hold back. I'm just going to quote that, put that little paragraph out there, even that one sentence, give credit to the author. That is it. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't have to explain why that spoke to you. Um, But share your journey is really, you know, I think very important thing to do as we are listening and learning to those doing this work of anti-racism. Sorry, Franny, go ahead. No, and I think that's just a great point. And I'm going to start by just saying that as an in compliment to the work that we're doing, because we need allies, we need partners, we need friends, we need safe spaces. Um, Samantha, to answer the question, one of the ways that the load gets to be lighter it's is to do it together and like nikki said but you know learning how to do it together so that it doesn't even the help doesn't become even a greater burden but it's okay to make mistake i mean that mistakes that's how we learn uh and as how we grow because in the process of learning we make mistakes and we learn from them but we need each other we need a a support Mm -hmm. system and so in this space there are things that um i can say to white people all day all day and then nikki comes along and she says it and it's like ding 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 so you know so it's learning learning you know as you grow together like, I don't have a problem sharing what Nikki said because i like, that's it right there. That's it. But at the same time, um, I, I think I want to answer the uh, add another part to the answer that's kind of like um, intersectionality is like uh, one of the words that I had to, I'm becoming quickly familiar with. So for me, like, you know, I'm Caribbean. So my, my upbringing is not one that's rooted in this kind of racism. And so, uh, you know, becoming p- part of the, 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 the work and actually I should say by after moving here, 
by default of my skin color, it became what my identity was, even though, you know, we pushed back and we struggle. And then in, in, in the outside world, it's hard to maintain that identity. But one of the things that you have control over is when you come home in your home where you live, then you get to you get to walk in the fullness of of your of my not just my brownness because I wasn't so much aware of my brownness prior to moving to the United States uh, as much as I'm Caribbean and that kind of lifestyle. So I wanted to hold on to the heritage, my heritage, the 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 way of doing things and pass it on to my children. But then because I came with this color, now I have this new identity that's superimposing itself over my Caribbeanness. Um, and it's kind of like drowning. I mean, the, the 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 life of a brown person in America is like it's suffocating. It's like it's all consuming. So it was just becoming a lot. But at, at the same time, it's carving out space for my identity because I want to hold on to it and I want to pass it on to my kids. I just am now black in America. And so I wanted to know what that meant and what what I looked like to people or what that what I represented to people and the more I learned about it because I didn't grow up learning American history black American history I certainly I mean I, I heard the name Martin Luther King but we were taught our own history so for me having to now identify with this new history I had to absorb and learn a lot quickly but also in the work that I so I, I shared in our other group. So then there's my Caribbeanness, then there's my Black Americanness, and then there's my Americanness, right? And then there's my identity of who I am in Christ. So biblically, I know who I am. Biblically, Christ followers know who they are in Christ, but socially, it's not it's not represented. It's not on display like the things we read about in the Bible and we identify with and we practice spiritually, internally, or in the building church isn't being practiced in the human church, like in the individual church, like the bride of Christ church. And so that was a, a, that's another compartment of living. That's such a struggle because on a Sunday, everyone in the church understands that we are created in Christ's image and we are equal in his sight. And we are to go out and tell, you know, share the gospel and, you know, take care of our families in church. Whereas when we walk out of the door and we're in community outside of that building, it's kind of like, uh, based on where you live, people don't come and, and, and do community with you based on how you talk, how you dress. People of different cultures cook differently. So I, there's a stark compartmentalization or category categorically uh, the way we live our lives outside the building church. It ends like when you walk out of the door because we we are different and so it's like it doesn't cross over so there's that struggle of the faith piece uh to be equal in the sight of god and equal in the sight of man where we kind of knowingly and maybe unconsciously don't put the two together and then um there is carry to full term the nonprofit that i started to house pregnant women who are homeless there is the element of representing christ in service you know like doing the work um, because we believe that Christ has called us to. But then we continue with the separation and the categories of separating. So all of it, to me, after a while, becomes burdensome. You know, burdens the the, the blackness, the, the faith, the Caribbeanness, the carrying, holding on, owning. And then my, my thing is I love people. I love to connect with people. I love to be with people. I mean, anybody. People tend to, I tend to, like... <laughs> 
figure out how I navigate people based on how they interact with me or how they treat me. Or like I will speak to correct a thought or a behavior. And even, you know, that might also create boundaries with people like, oh, she's too outspoken. She's too vocal. She's too direct. She's too honest. She's all these things that are too much that r- disrupts the comfort of people's lives. But but they're not p- aware of how they superimpose those expectations on me to accept like the 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 way they're treating me but when I correct it I become too much of something so there's that burden and then there's the burden of how we prioritize the work of faith you know how we prioritize a pregnant woman who's homeless we prioritize the unborn because we're so concerned that she might terminate her baby but we're not giving uh, attention to like the circumstances surrounding the why she's considering terminating, it's just like, let's stop her from terminating and let's just introduce her to God and let's get her to join a Bible study or let's, before she, you know, she she gets diapers, let's get her to commit to attending like these mother classes or expectant mother classes where the, she's very, a mother who is in crisis because she's pregnant is might be abortion-minded because she's not thinking that there are other ways that she could get support. And so I carry to full term, that's what that is. And then, you know, mothers carry their babies to full term and live at periods of time in disbelief that, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't even know this was here. And so they do the work. Now they now go tell their friends. They now tell their families. They tell their church, oh, my gosh, there's this house. So now you're you're getting testimonies of people who are thriving, wanting to thrive who are hopeful because now there's their community of people who believe in coming together and empowering them as opposed to um judging them or now uh even interested in uh, assigning criminal charges against them for a, a decision they thought that it was the only one to make or the only one they've seen made and it's the only option that constantly is presented so all that becomes burdensome when for me i'm looking at it through constantly the lens of god constantly through the lens of God. Well, how is that biblical? How is like the injustice biblical? Why is the church's silence biblical? How can that be considered biblical? How can I promote the, the life of the unborn and fight vigorously for that life to be born? And then the life becomes 19 years old and it's shut down by in broad daylight by people who take the law into their own hands and I find ways to say well he shouldn't have ran he shouldn't have grabbed the gun he shouldn't have been in the you know, like I find ways to justify the 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 taking of a life the very life that I fought to bring into the world so that becomes burdensome and then you know it it all becomes burdensome so at the end of the day so to answer your question that I've now placed like 10 levels of burden into the question into the question <laughs> <laughs> that's how my, my through my lens I view the world because I view my life as a creation of God that he made man in his own image and I don't separate my life from living because I don't know how to do that and so be, by living that way I speak that way and it brings a lot of our humanness I guess when I talk to people to the forefront but I'm an image bearer of God you're an image bearer of God so if we're able to speak to each other's value in the fact that we are image bearers of God, then we prioritize each other's lives. We become vocal against injustice. We become vocal against the fact that 
this idea of superiority that we're presenting really is just a, a fragile castle that we're all living in because when it's challenged, like, you know, you were, you reference in, in the book, White Fragility, when it's challenged, all these emotions other than love or acceptance of truth comes up to the surface because now we, our, our fragility of our, the fragility of our white castle, if you happen to throw a stone too hard, then, you know, it fractures it. And the emotions that come through the fracturing are all these negative feelings. But yet in, in the next breath, we will say, you know, this country was founded on equality and um, all men are created equal and we've come so far. Um, blacks have come so far. Why are we always talking about race? We've had a black president, but yet we, we don't want to address any of the under the foundation you know when you build on a thing you you refer, you refer to its foundation well this country has been built on brutality of people but every stride towards regaining what was intentionally taken is pointed out as progress well progress also requires recognition of the thing and so that's one of the ways to lighten the burden recognizing a, you know, being aware, speaking the truth to it, and ridding ourselves, like you were saying, Samantha, becoming more intentional and paying attention to the things that you hold as your your worldview. And when you're when you when you line it up with truth, when you line it up with history, when you line it up biblically, it doesn't even hold water because none of it represents who God is. But we want to live in a in a in a God perfect world when our world that's our reality is very imperfect and very fractured, but we don't want to identify, recognize it or speak it. So lightening the burden means speaking the truth, calling the thing by the name, addressing the foundation upon which our fractured or fragile lives exist and take ownership of it. And, you know, do some introspective assessment as to, you know, why do we get so bothered or angry by when truth is spoken and when it's actually history, you could, it's proven, you could look at it and, 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 and sit in the discomfort of it rather than jumping towards, we had a 44th president. And when anybody says that to me, I'm like, yeah, but he was 44. <laughs> why wasn't he two, six, eight, 10, 12, mm -hmm. 44. And then we went back to the status quo at 45. So, you know, things like that, we're not lightening the burden when we don't face the truth and call the, the, the issues by name. It's so funny, Franny, when you were going through all that and I was absorbing it, what kept coming to mind, because I've been doing a lot of reading lately on shame and resiliency, and then also just a whole other category of trauma and when you deal with trauma and the what you said about speaking truth, calling it by its name those are all needed. And the thing is, is that when you're dealing with shame and I'm thinking of this whole white privilege, you know, it's like calling it by name. It's, it's getting to that place that we don't like. And for me, it's like a red flag, whether someone else comes at me, you know, with something, or I feel that feeling, you know, right. that's that, indicator that, yeah, something's not right. So if there really was not a problem, if everything is hunky-dory, then we should be able to talk about it with no emotion, you know, like just facts, yeah. you know. And um, I had indicated earlier on our call, you know, growing up, I thought the world was one way. And then as I get older, you see, oh, it's not like that. And that, and, but 
the fact that we can't talk about it, that friction right there, that's that whole, in my opinion, the trauma, the shame, all that stuff. But the only way through trauma and the only way through shame and the only way to like reconciliation. And for me, what I've been doing a lot of reading on is resiliency. You have to go through it. You have to sit in the uncomfortable feelings and you have to feel it. And um, yeah, this is just all kind of layering on top of all these thoughts I'm having of just how important it is that like you said, call it by name and sit in it together too. And not just sit, but do take action too. Right. And that is actually, um, you just perfectly summed up really the third thing that, um, you know, needs to be done, which is recognizing our own biases, our own faults, our own misconceptions, you know, and, and working through those things and finding people that can be in that safe space with you to work through them. And it is hard. It is undoubtedly hard when you realize um, that we've all got some unlearning to do. Um, So thank you for putting it that way. I think that, um, you know, that the next action um, for folks to take that kind of goes along with the second one, which is learning and listening to people who are already doing the work of anti-racism is putting yourself under the leadership of, of people of color, of people who have different lived experiences. If you're only going to listen to people who you already know are going to agree with everything you say, then you aren't really learning. So don't be afraid to go out there and put yourself under other people's leadership. Part of being an anti-racist and doing, you know, taking actions that could be attributed to an ally is giving up some of your privilege for somebody else's. So don't always be so quick to um, be the one who's talking the most in the room. You know, whites monopolize pretty much every area of society where we commingle. So, you know, it's okay to shut up once in a while. Um, listen to others. Um, Another one is to believe people of color when they tell you they've experienced racism. Nobody has to prove anything to you. Um, And if somebody were to, if you were to tell somebody, oh my gosh, this happened to me, blah, blah, blah. The last thing you would expect to hear back is really, is that really what happened? You know, why don't you lay out your 10 points, uh, you know, and then maybe I'll consider believing you. Um, a, a person's feelings don't have to be justified to you. They are feelings. They're not objective, right, wrong things. Um, and, you know, I've talked about this before where there's this concept in law called the eggshell skull rule. And it's basically you take your victim as you find them. And so victims are going, you know, I don't want to say victims, I'm sorry. People are going to react to certain things from their perspective and within the context of their own lived experiences. So while, you know, we have to allow people of color to have their own experiences believed, to have their experiences differentiate from not only ours, but from other people of color, um... You know, we don't, whites aren't asked to represent their entire race. They aren't, you know, they aren't held up as, you know, a real credit to their race, nor are we 
you know, when somebody does something evil, I mean, God forbid Charles Manson would have been deemed to have represented all white people, right? I mean, that's not just not what happens. You don't find a monster like that or a Hitler or somebody else and then say, well, that's what white people are like. Yet we do that to people of color, right? Um, where, you know, we've talked about this earlier this year. How many first this, first that. There was this, uh, well, it was in February during Black History Month when we were celebrating all these firsts. And while that's great, at the same time, it's it's bittersweet because you think, when are we going to stop having the firsts? Like how many firsts are there left for them to achieve, right? For people of color to be, um, allowed to achieve. And, um, you know, so just being, p- being in a position where we're not constantly questioning, um, and just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true, you know, is something that I think people need, you know, can do. That is a thing you can do. Um, not saying things like, you know, wait till all the facts are out. Um, there was a, a quote this morning, that um, I read by Elizabeth Barron. She's uh, put it out on Twitter. Just she's one of the leaders in the Be the Bridge organization. That when you when people say things like "Let's wait for all the facts," that's the equivalent of saying "I need you know I need to see all the evidence to determine whether or not that life was worth not being snuffed out." And, and that's not exactly what she said, but it was something to that effect. And um, you know that understanding how the the typical cliches and and reactions that you know just smack of white fragility and white supremacy uh where they come from what they mean you know what that's really inferring um is really important and a lot of times people mean well when they say them you know we talked about this last time saying i don't see color i know that people think that is a good thing they they mean well when they say it but what is the absence of color it's white and when you say I don't see color many not all black people people of color interpret that as you don't see me so it's it's again it's normalizing anything that's not white to the white perspective and if if those are the things that we're doing then we need to be rec- we need to educate ourselves enough to recognize those, understand what they mean, and and not to perpetuate them, and to call them out when they, when they happen. Um, you know, being an outspoken advocate and an intervening bystander was how Corey Leak put it. Um, you know, we we got to do more than just run our two point two three miles and hashtag, you know. I ran with a mod or I run with a mod, um, speak out, get involved, um, intervene when you see injustices and racism happening around you. Um, and you know, there's, there's two other things. And then I want to get in our last 15 minutes or so to, um, an article we will never get all the way through, but we're going to share the link to. Um, so just along the lines of learning and listening to people doing the work, support them financially. They deserve to be supported. Um, it, it, there's a lot of them out there that have Patreons where you can go a couple bucks a month. I mean, that money goes far when we are willing to really invest in this work. 
Yes, our time. Yes, our energy. Yes, our voices. Yes, our actions. But also our money. There is, it is a completely worthy um, investment. If we're really going to see change, which has to happen at the systemic level, it is not, yes, you, you can help further people's education and understanding of what all this means and get everybody to a place where together collectively we can make a difference. People um, have made a huge difference in the last two weeks through um, petitions and fundraising to get um, law enforcement to do things differently in the Ahmaud Arbery case. They're doing the same thing now in the Breonna Taylor case. Um, so, you know, putting our money where our mouth is, is very important. Um, and you know, to the church, we talked about this in our earlier discussion today. Um, you can go to a very multi multicultural church, you know, where the congregation is very diverse, but if your leadership is not diverse and not reflective of the congregation, then you know, go to your pastor, make sure they're bringing in people who represent others in the congregation and know, let them know you support them. Um, know that you, you know, when he, your pastor does that, there are people in the congregation who are going to be uncomfortable, who are going to get angry, who are going to say, you know, this is not why I came to church today. That's Okay. You know what? There are people that write pastors because they didn't like that song that was sung in the worship service. You know what? To each his own. Don't sing along. I don't know. (laughs) Just this very egocentric, it's all about me, has got to stop. So, um, Nikki, can I say something real quick? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a little on board with that, and I'm always worried it's it's a little off track. But with Franny earlier, you talked about um, the different burdens and what came to my head and what you were just talking about, Nikki, is I I started reading this. We've been reading the Psalms every day, my husband and I. And what comes over and over again is praying for wisdom and discernment. And something you said, Franny, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, oh, it was about the babies and how we fight for the life in the womb. And then what about later? And I feel like there's so much hypocrisy that, you know, as the scales have been coming off my eyes, you just see this hypocrisy that, you know, you say one thing here and then either you do another here. Um, and a, and a tri- I feel like this could be a trivial example, but I do want to bring it up in case it could strike a chord with a white listener. And so, you know, there's the jokes now about Karen, right? And mm. whatnot. And I remember even someone, the way I had my hair styled, like one tucked behind one side and one on the other. And someone said something like about my haircut and being like a Karen. And I remember I felt like a little pang of like, well, that's not me. You know, like, how dare they? And then I thought, have you seen impressions of people that are different than you? Why for the last however many years, it's okay to have impressions of all these different people of all these different races. And now that and I could have this wrong, so I definitely appreciate any input. But I feel like I'm seeing now that, oh, now that there's this Karen joke, suddenly it's like, oh, whoa, 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 that's that's too far. You've crossed you know, a like, line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And so how how dare I, you know, once once that starts in your mind, you're like, well, shoot, if that may, if that just little thing may, gave me a twinge of uncomfortableness, 
how many times have has oh yeah, yeah. you know there's yeah. the insensitivity that I feel like many of us are guilty of but um, but like I said it just goes back to praying for discernment and wisdom and to have and I just always pray to have eyes to see and ears to hear and so there's just it's that deconstruction it's just there's so many like, little things that just it starts to chip away you yeah. know yeah. No, I agree. I've seen a lot about that. Um, Allie Henney actually had a great post. Um, I do want to go back just for a second because while we were talking, I've just been, um, you know, going back to the others who are doing this work and who most shows up in my timeline or feed or what have you. Um, and I'm just going to throw out some names for folks to jot down. Um, Allie Henney is one. She definitely had a great post on the whole Karen thing. Um, Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, he wrote Stamped from the Beginning. Um, Jamar Tisby wrote uh, The Color of Compromise. Um, anything by Eric Mason. Obviously, Latasha Morrison, founder of Be the Bridge. Um, seen on Radio um, is an account that I follow on Twitter. Um, that's hosted by John Bewin and Chendrai Kumanika. They're both um, excellent. Chendrai also, you know, does some things in other platforms as well. Brian Stevenson um, and EJI um, and the work they're doing in terms of criminal justice reform. Austin Channing Brown, Corey Leake, Cedric Lundy. We've both gotten to know them a little bit. Um, speaking of racism is another account, another podcast. Um uh, sort of through fangirling have become a little, you know, friend follower of Jen Kinney um, in that um, Sean King is doing a ton of, you know, he's obviously a well-known voice. He does a lot of advocacy for, um, in, you know, injustices. He gets to know, um, you know, a lot of the families that were going through these things. Um, his friend... Um, Oh my goodness, um, Lee Merritt. Um, he's a lawyer. He's an advocate. He's often involved in some of these cases. Um, he will befriend um, some of these families, um, and they often work together. He and Sean King in um, advocating for, you know, directly with law enforcement and um, politicians to address issues specifically. They they were um, very instrumental in getting some action um, prompted and pulling people together to advocate for action in the um, Ahmad Arbery case. So, um, um, Nikki, I don't know. Uh, did you share Letty's information? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure there's a million I'm forgetting, just trying to remember off the top of my head, and I'm way too old for that. So, Letty um, she is one um, that you would want to follow, and she's really good. Allie, Hen Allie Henny and Letty are, they're not softballers, you know. Um, mm -mm. They're in this space, and they're hard hitters, and so um, they call things out, and they call them as they are. So, uh, so those are some of the other ones that you could uh, follow. Or uh, you know, uh, and reach out to. They're very uh, easy to talk to, and they'll respond. And I want to encourage, as like a new dipping in, you know, reading harder things. Um, Nikki, I know you've shared a lot that have come across my feed. I just want to encourage people, and I think that's why the three month silence rule on the Be the Bridge is so important. Because when you read stuff, you know, your first inclination is it stirs up something in you. 
-hmm. But that kind of goes back to just being getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and sitting in it. So just to encourage people that it's like, I don't know if it's to say it's going to get worse before it gets better, but like just to really sit with it, because I read some stuff that you shared that it was like, oh, this is a bit much, you know, like my feeling like, oh, it's making me have feelings about it. But I sat with it and it's like just thinking it's taken it's taken a few days to sink in. And you ladies said something, too, on the call about this is heavy stuff. And for me, the way my brain work and this is a coping mechanism, you know, if I'm in one zone, it's like, okay, yeah, no, let's just talk about this. But then you kind of the longer you're sitting in it, it's just it, it those layers start to shed. And it, it does just become so heavy. And that's why when we recorded today, there was a point at the call, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to do a call again, because Franny said, like, this is so much. And I think that our coping mechanisms, it, we don't want to feel all those things so often. We don't want to be burdened with other people's pain. You know, like, I can feel enough pain. I'll, I'll be burdened enough. I'll carry your burden until it becomes a burden on me. Hmm. And I think for me, like, that is the, you have to get to that point where it makes you uncomfortable and that's when the real work begins and that kind of goes back to being an ally like writing something on Facebook might feel to me like oh I'm such a good ally but that's nothing right so yeah and you know um, the other thing Samantha that I want to share you know um like for me there 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 are weights that I carry that I don't necessarily share because I'm I'm such like an um an outgoing person and when I get with people, like it, it's easy to just only think of me as comical, you know. But um, until, of course, something catches my attention or something is said, where I have to step into the space to be an ally or to give a voice. And so you're right, like in your comment earlier, I um, and sometimes when I say things, it makes it uncomfortable, especially for those of us who identify as Christ followers, because. Um, you know, when you when you read the Bible, you do see that Jesus was very vocal. He wasn't dehumanizing. I mean, he spoke truth and people's sin or their life rose to the surface and then they had to do an assessment. You know, like we were talking about earlier, you do a, a take an introspective look and then you, you make a, re, a, a response. But in the presence of Christ, there's truth. So you can't come at truth because he continues to speak truth and that's what we are we are attempting to do but in the process our humanity gets in the way uh, and we but we try to take on god-like uh approach or responses to each other when we're supposed to just be love to each other so you're right so you see the hypocrisy rise to the surface in in our earlier conversation one of the things that you know, I was very encouraged just to hear, like you know, Nikki, you were saying in our in, in in our quest to become each other's ally, that a lot of times you don't even necessarily know the work that other people are doing on your behalf until you come in community, and you realize, oh my gosh, there are advocates speaking out, asking their organization to diversify the leadership, you know, and not just you know, and then that's another thing. Samantha, the, when you diversify the leadership, you don't just throw any old person up there just for the sake of having a person of color up there. 
and not have actions to follow. Um, I follow several pastors, and that was a huge topic that was being discussed this week. And one of them was to just throwing people of color up there, but that's just for, you know, the, the, the service or the magazine photo or just for increasing numbers when actions to represent your diverse congregation isn't followed. So I did share something about going to a multiracial or multicultural church. And um, that was originally shared by a pastor, and but his post had way more conversation on it. And it's not to dig a church. I go to a multi-ethnic church. And, um, but, you know, if, when you look at our leadership, it's a little different, but our pastor is committed to the work of reconciliation. Uh, and, and that's another thing that Nikki shared. You know, one of the, the authors that I um, have grown to love is uh, Austin Channing Brown, and she talks about that in great detail. When you're, when you're talking about reconciliation within churches, it's not just a hot-button topic. It requires, like, you, you know, sitting in the heart things and not just every time an Ahmaud Aubrey situation happens, then a new conversation picks up again. Well, you know, what happened to the conversation when, you know, um, when, uh, oh, my gosh, please forgive me for... Not remember. Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin was killed. You know, what mm -hmm. spurred those conversation on between Trayvon Martin's death and now Ahmad's death? Like, what? Where was the in between? You know. Um, right. And so it's very, very discouraging when you see we're picking up another set of conversations when by this time action should have been taken and um austin channing brown does a, a fantastic job challenging church leadership and other organizations to become more engaged more active put plans in place bring people in learn um as you learn have someone educate you you know like, like nikki had shared with the list she provided those people are in in this space doing this work and so learn along um but don't learn with because it's hard to learn and lead in the space of anti-racism work while you are doing the work to learn you know there's something to learn all the time because it's never done but you have to prepare to lead it because if you just jump into it you're going to sink because the stuff is just you know it's weighty like an anchor it'll pull you down yeah. you know so um but but there the the, the frustration that i that i express frequently is um but the answer that i'm giving but we, we've made progress yeah we have made we're making progress again because Ahmad aubrey died and so we're starting the conversation again so that that becomes a little that that makes the burden you know, like we had in our discussion earlier when when um when the gentleman shared he said when he sees things like that happen again it's like the weight of his death is like superimposed on him because now he could be Ahmad aubrey but a lot of times, you know, when, when churches, diverse churches who don't have that voice for the, their diverse congregation, it's, it's almost impossible to address the weight that, you know, was shared earlier today because it's not something that you actually identify with or you, you feel. So you need that representation of all the people group that, that you have in your congregation. So, you know, there's just a lot to think and a lot to take on. Um, but one of the things that I'm, I'm feeling right now uh, that I didn't feel yesterday or the week before 
or from the last time we got together is this encouragement to be in a, a community, a space of community with you, Samantha, like doing this, talking about hearing what each what you're going through, what you're attempting to do, what we're doing, what we're living through, and, and giving a voice, and not just a voice, but taking action to create change. So what I feel today, not just for a, for a sake of feeling, but for life, one of the things we talked about was hope. It's hopeful. Hope has been, you know, like, you know, one of the other things he said, like, it's so easy to become, to lose hope when mm-hmm. you see, oh, Ahmad just got killed, but we're going to take action to just start the conversation again, as opposed to, wait, wait, let me speak for our brothers and sisters who are hurting. You know, that's action. Right. Rather than let me call my brothers and sisters to relive their pain by having a conversation. That's burdensome. And Austin Channing Brown does a, a very good job talking about that. A very good job on, on how reconciliation can be used as a stall tactic in the church by having conversation. So, um, you know, I carry that and I take that to heart when I hear it, especially when I see the action of, Let's talk about it again as opposed to, okay, we should have had a plan in place by now. Some kind of skeletal form of a plan of action that that allows an organization's leader to speak out. There's a church that I just followed in North Carolina. Their pastor did just that. When, um, when he saw the video, after looking at the video of Ahmaud Aubrey's death, he didn't ask for more evidence. He he has a diverse congregation and he spoke out and says, our brothers, we are hurting. And as a church that is, has justice as part of our mis- our ministry, our brother and sisters in Christ in, in our fellowship, they're hurting. So we are hurting. And he put, a, it was a, a, quite a long post, but I'm just sharing what mm-hmm. I took away from that post. And to me, that's action. Um, and a church that doesn't have it all together, but that has positioned itself from the leadership to to speak on behalf of its the members in its flock who are experiencing yeah. pain. I know we're short on time, but you brought up um, Tra- Trayvon Martin, right? Mm-hmm. And I, there was an interesting shift for me personally that I'll share at which is uncomfortable for me, you know, um, but at the sake of for transparency and growth, um, a post, Nikki, you shared about Ahmad, which is, you know, it was easy at first, like he was just out for a jog and he was innocent. And and then um, the post was about if you're only supporting him because of his innocence, you have it wrong. And please correct, you know, fill in the gaps because I'm kind of going from memory. But it talked about um, it. It doesn't, why does it only matter if he fits the narrative that I want him to fit in? And that's one of those posts that I read it at first, like, well, but he didn't do anything wrong. And then I realized I, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting, you know, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like qualifying it. I'm qualifying him. And so that, that post I read was very convicting. And I started thinking back to Trayvon Martin and how, you know, oh, well, he, he, he was, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't even, I don't want to even speak to it because I don't remember, but I, but I remember the feeling, which is, well, if he, well, if he wouldn't have done that, 
then that wouldn't have happened. But what if that was my son? What if my mm-hmm. kid's, you know, a teenager and someone's accusing him of something, whether he did or didn't do it? You know, there's all this stuff that it's like, would I go down that road if it wasn't? And so the 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 growth that I can even see in the way I'm processing Ahmad versus Trayvon, I'm embarrassed at how I qualified it for my own feelings because it made me feel better, you know, if, if, if there was something wrong and that, you know, it just feels so. Yeah. I just, you know, that's part of the process, right? I mean, yeah. And, and that's actually a really great comment, um, to kind of end with, if you will, because I'm thinking back to something else somebody said in our be the bridge meeting this morning, um, that I'm probably going to paraphrase, paraphrase poorly. Um, and that is be involved so that you can see the moments of hope. Um, it is very heavy. It is very burdensome. Um, there are times when I just have to take a break. Uh, I, I went to bed the other night and just having the book White Fragility on my night table next to my head head was more than I could bear. I literally got up and put it on the floor because I was just like, I gotta, I, I, I just need to process and not, you know, con- you, you've got to give yourself time. You can't just continually consume. Um, but you know, even the example you just gave, Samantha, of recognizing the difference in your reaction to Ahmad's death versus Trayvon's death shows growth. That gives hope. And um, I just thought that was really interesting because, you know, as a white person, um, I do get questioned, like, why are you, what's in this for you, Right. And which is a very American mentality, right? Why would anybody do something if there wasn't something in it for them? And there is something in it for me. It, I mean, there's, you know, being able to sleep at night, being able to look at myself in the mirror, being able to raise my kids differently, um, to see the world differently and to interact with the world differently. It's to, you know, like we said, hopefully um, be viewed as an advocate and an ally Um, and somebody who's willing to put my own comfort, my own status, my own friendships and relationships on the line to stay committed to something that I feel God has called me to do. Um, that's okay. If at the end of the day, I can make a difference, I can help ease my friend's burden. If I can do something in society that helps change the way we operate, um, it's worth it, right? I mean, would anybody say, I mean, Jesus went after the one sheep and left the 99. I mean, if I can help one person, it's worth it. Um, and whether that is, you know, a person of color who now feels like they have somebody on their side who's white, or whether it's helping my kids understand and learn something they're never going to learn in school, that's worth it. Um, but you do have to find and recognize those moments of hope by being, you know, sort of taking a step back and seeing what's happening as a whole. And so the, 
that really was the impetus for this and the last podcast, which is let's take this terrible thing or this series of terrible things, because uh, frankly, it wasn't just Ahmad and Brianna who were murdered last week. There were others. Um, but let's not let it be just a hashtag and let's use it to spur us on to good works um, and to really follow um, the call of God on all of our lives, which is um, to share the gospel. And this is the gospel. Reconciliation is the gospel. Um, And it can't be, as Franny said, just that thing that's um, a special topic when something horrible happens in the news where you know that X percent of the congregation is just sitting here thinking, I knew I should have skipped church today. I'm going to come back next week when they're off this topic. Because they can rest assured that the church will be. Because very rarely is it a consistent theme to which we always go back. Um, Because then what are we doing, right? We're making everything about race. Um, But if if we're really going to change this nation, that's what's got to happen. So... So with that, um, thank you so much, Samantha, for joining us. It's been awesome to talk to you really all day after our marathon Be the Bridge meeting this morning. Um, Thank you. This has been amazing. I appreciate you ladies welcoming me into your space and into your stories and into your heart. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We look forward to doing it again. Franny, any uh, closing words, Franny? No, I think you ladies wrapped it up really well, and I'm just appreciative to be in company with you as we're doing the work, um, but it just is not as heavy as when um, one of us did it. Now that yeah. we're, you know, um, mo- what many hands make light work, so now That's that right. we have many hands extending and doing the work, making the calls, sharing the information, um, writing our own original posts, it has definitely lightened the burden and it has lightened the weight on many souls. And so I'm just thankful to be here with you ladies who are not just talking, but who's, who are putting action into um, the words that you share uh, with others. And I appreciate it very much. Great. Well, folks, we will talk to you again soon. And thanks for joining us today. Bye, everyone. In this episode, we discussed concrete actions we can take to affect real change in our communities. These actions are more than a one-time social media post. Yes, we have to speak out, but we also have to learn, listen, and advocate if we ever hope to dismantle the racist constructs in American society. Talk to you soon. This podcast was recorded at Double Door Studios in Gainesville, Virginia, hosted by Franny Robin and Nikki Bland. Produced and engineered by Kenny Bland. Original music by Ryan Robin. Original artwork by Ellie Bland. Mm-hmm.